Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Good friends, good to see you. Welcome back to the Bill Press Pod and to this week's Reporters Roundtable. A quick look back at the news of the week and what it all means with three of Washington's top political reporters. Well, not a good week for Donald Trump. His longtime accounting firm dropped him. A judge ordered him to obey a subpoena to testify in the New York Attorney General's investigation of his business dealings. And President Biden once again refused Trump's claim of executive privilege for his White House logs. Not such a great week for Joe Biden either. His legislative agenda has simply died a quiet death. Inflation drags on, raising consumer prices across the board. And despite promises of diplomacy, every day it seems we're getting closer to war in Ukraine. But it was a good week for gun safety advocates as a group of Sandy Hook parents won a $73 million settlement from Remington, manufacturer of that A-15 type assault rifle used in the 2012 school massacre. Meanwhile, Sarah Palin lost round one with the New York Times, Whoopi Goldberg went back to work, and the Rams won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Here to make some sense of it all, Addie Baird, national political reporter for BuzzFeed News. Hello, Addie. Hi. Good to have you here, Igor Babish, congressional correspondent for HuffPost. Hello, Igor. Hey, Bill. And Sudeep Reddy, managing editor of Politico. Hi, Sudeep. Hi, Bill. Help us out here. Everybody is biting their nails, waiting to know, Igor, are, is the government going to run out of money today or not? Uh, not today. Um, oh. They've managed to kick the can one more time uh-huh. for another couple of weeks uh, to give themselves <laughs> more time to get an agreement to get it funded for a longer period of time <laughs> for about a year. So, I mean, it's just kind of hilarious the way um, the government is operating now on all these stopgap measures, you know, a week here, a week there, a month there. Uh, because they're unable to ultimately agree on a, on a top-line funding agreement that'll take us past past the election, um, kind of a big omnibus package of spending. So last night, we, you know, we saw a couple of votes that Republicans pushed for to end uh, vaccine mandates for schools, uh, which failed, and ultimately they were able to send a bill to to the president's desk um, and avoid a shutdown. Right. So how long has it been since we had a budget? Uh, I, I think uh, about a year and a half. I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so it's, you know, they've been running on a, a CR, continuous CR for, for that time. So, Addy, it, it looks like they've given themselves more time to do nothing. I mean, what is Congress doing these days? Nothing on voting rights, nothing on Build Back Better we haven't even heard about for a couple of weeks or more. Um, well... <laughs> 
<laughs> well, Bill, welcome to uh, a split United States Senate. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, Igor's, Igor's sort of hitting on it just right, you know, especially with, um, you know, the the funding itself. The can continues to get kicked down the road. You're right. We haven't heard anything about Build Back Better in a while. Um, you know, they're the only kind of interesting thing that I, I you know, can really think of that the uh, legislature has done in, you know, the last couple of weeks was actually uh, they, both the House and the Senate, uh, uncontroversially pretty much passed um, a bill to end forced arbitration. So uh, that went to the president's desk. I don't believe he signed it quite yet, but he's expected to. Um, mm-hmm. This is actually a bill that comes out of the Me Too era. Um, and the, you know, it's funny. It's been so many years since that was really the, the only thing that we were thinking and talking about. Right. Um, but this should actually have uh, a positive impact for people um, because it basically and not basically it ends forced arbitration, which is um, a process that keeps people who have been uh, you know harassed or abused in the workplace out of court. So you can't sue, mm-hmm. um, and instead you're forced into this secretive legal process known as forced arbitration. So. Yeah. You know, in the background of all of this, as the Senate can barely, or the the as Congress can barely keep itself open, as we hear nothing about Build Back Better, I just thought it was interesting that um, you know it was a bipartisan vote. The Senate passed it by voice vote, which you know is is evidence that it was very uncontroversial. Um, but ultimately, this is a bill that's going to have a positive impact, um, and you know that that was. Something that that's been yeah. happening okay. in the legislature lately. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Thank you for letting us know about that. I did. I, I had heard about it, but didn't pay much attention to it. But you're right, and it did not get a, a lot of attention uh, either. Sudeep, one thing that's getting more and more attention uh, is Republican members of Congress who are complaining that they're being spied on uh, because they're suspected of giving reconnaissance tours to some uh, groups that showed up on January 6th, the day before giving these tours on January 5. One of those who's very upset about the pos- uh, that investigation, if you will, of course, is Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who accused Nancy Pelosi. Uh, well, we'll let uh, the congressman tell us what her problem is. Not only do we have the D.C. jail, which is the D.C. gulag, but now we have Nancy Pelosi's gazpacho police spying on members of Congress, spying on the legislative work that we do, spying on our staff, and spying on American citizens that want to come talk to their representatives. The gazpacho police, Sudeep. We are, we are long past due for a real gazpacho police force in America. Um, this is, this will certainly go down, down as one of the best lines of the year. Um, the, the, the gazpacho police and all the means, uh, that they created. Um, the, the, is there anything to this story with, with, with the, the actual substance of it and, and her attempt to say, uh, Gestapo, there is not really anything to it. This was, this was really, there, there are all sorts of, of threads here. Uh, including the discussions this week about whether there were the, these reconnaissance tours of 
of the Capitol on January 5th, because it goes to this core question of the January 6th committee is whether, whether there were, there, there was an inside job here, whether there are people who are on the inside who were collaborating and supporting uh, the insurrectionists. And that is a fu- fundamental question about treason that a lot of people are getting at. Um, and there has been continuing discussion this week. Now, of course, Nancy Pelosi's office says they don't actually control the Capitol Police. There's a board that controls that. Um, they don't have the security tapes. It's all kind of silly. Um, but, but it does go to uh, the, the really fundamental central questions about what happened uh, in, in the hours and, and days leading up to that moment. Well, Igor, you are certainly there, and you did the famous video of the police officer directing um, some of the rioters away from the Senate. Uh, but it did seem that, the, and some people made the point, that some of these organizations and the, and the leaders had um, an uncanny knowledge of how to get around that building. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there were organized elements um, that day. Uh, you know, we know for a fact that um, there were teams staged outside the city, you know, waiting for a signal to to go in uh, once once they got the signal from people at the Capitol, um, people who were associated with the Oath Keepers and, and other yeah other yeah. white supremacist groups. So um, you know there was definitely a mix. There were people in the Capitol who just got caught up, sort of, and you know rushed in with everybody else and thought they were at the White House. You know they were screaming, "Oh my God, we're, we made it at the White House!" There was a guy who was you know, and, and Pelosi's office thought he was completely somewhere else. Um, they, they didn't really know what they were doing. So there were, but there were definitely organized elements to this that, that need to be investigated. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't cover the Capitol like you do, but I've been there many, many times. And I, I find, I get lost trying to find my way around inside the Capitol when I, when I get there. It's, it's not easy. And some of these people really seem to know um, how to, how to get around. Addie, our good friend Hunter Walker um, has reported that some of the insurrectionists, if you will, have testified that they were in touch with members of Congress before January 6th, which again would justify looking into possible reconnaissance tours, no? Yeah, I, I certainly certainly think that it, that it would. One of my colleagues, Catherine Miller, has made the point several times that the January 6th committee is in part uh, you know, in part the value is just being able to understand our own history better. Even if there are not, you know, indictments or, uh, you know, revelatory criminal penalties, even though there have already, of course, uh, you know, as, as both Igor and I have, have great colleagues who have been documenting the charges against the rioters, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's it's a it's a committee that can help us actually understand what happened that day, and the reporting um, of of many of our great colleagues has helped us understand that. Uh, and you know, it's just going to be very interesting as as the committee does have uh, you know subpoena power and legal ability to to get more than than maybe journalists would be, um, but. Already, as as you say, the reporting really points to the fact that this is something that deserves a lot of a lot of scrutiny. So, uh, front pages uh, across the nation today, and top of Politico Sudeep as well. Uh, Donald Trump got a message yesterday, as well as Donald Jr. and Ivanka Trump, uh, that within the next three weeks, you have to agree 
to sit down and be deposed by the New York Attorney General, uh, Letitia James. Um, big bombshell for Donald Trump. Do you think he'll go along with it, Sudeep? Well, he'll, he'll certainly continue trying trying to fight it, but there's there's limited room he's got to, to do this. And this really goes to the core of of uh, Donald Trump's fears. It gets into um, his his business in particular, and all of the questions about um, whether his business uh, is is really all that that uh, above board in every way. And that's uh, that that we had questions about it. Um, this week with his uh, accounting firm quitting. We have questions about uh, really all sorts of things around the family business. And um, this is what Donald Trump cares about probably more than anything else. Uh, and and getting at those questions could, uh, could really rile him up. Yeah. I mean, seeing a former president sit down deposed by, um, by attorneys or the attorney general will be um, really startling to say the least. Yeah. Igor, um, this is, as Sadiq mentioned, the other big blow was when the, the former president's accounting firm, um, Mazars, I guess you pronounce it, USA, said, we're dropping him as a client. Um, we no longer want him as a client, and we can no longer stand by the tax returns that we filed on his behalf. Uh, that says a lot about Trump's business dealings. Yeah, it really does. Uh, looks like we're never going to get those uh, promised, you know, Trump tax audits uh, at this rate. <laughs> uh, just, I mean, talk about just in time, you know, the, the fact that they're now finally coming around to the realization that that his finances are completely BS mm-hmm. um, is kind of ridiculous. Uh, I mean, there, there were known issues about all his shady financial dealings and um, that they're putting a statement out now because of this uh, investigation, where they're they could potentially face, you know, uh, liabilities in court, uh, kind of says it all. Um, and uh, it, you know, the the cards, the house of cards that he built, are finally starting to shake. Uh, maybe fall. Uh, we'll see. But but um, it's it's interesting that one of his top top uh, financial backers is is pulling away from him. Right. So, Addy, do you see any sense that Republicans in Congress might be pulling back from the president? When they look at his, you know, the attorney general investigation, they look at the accounting firm saying it was all BS. Um, They look at his losing his claim of executive privilege. He seems to be losing on several counts. Any diminishing support among the uh, big Trumpers in the Congress, Republicans that you've talked to? No. Really? <laughs> All right. Yes, really. All right. Um, look, you know, you're you're absolutely right. We're seeing all of this unfold where Trump uh, is losing these, I guess, leverage points uh, in some form. But he all he he has the ultimate leverage, which is like the hearts and minds of the Republican base and most Republicans in Congress. Um, just this week, Kevin McCarthy endorsed against Liz Cheney, who has taken the fatal sin of uh, telling the truth about the election. And, you know, I think that that's a sign of how baked in Trump remains in this party. There is no other uh, there is no other figure that you can realistically see as the leader of this party right now. And he uh, is is, you know, the the legal 
processes surrounding um, him don't really don't really seem to budge the the people that that truly love him and see him as the leader of this party. Yeah. Well, Sudeep, I'm glad uh, Addy raised the question of uh, Liz Cheney. There does seem to be a real obsession on the part of Donald Trump and Kevin McCarthy, right? That they're going to they're going to get rid of Liz Cheney one way or another. Kevin McCarthy's endorses, as Addie pointed out, uh, her opponent, Harriet Hageman. Donald Trump is pressuring the governor of Wyoming to change the laws so no independents or Democrats could vote for her in the primary because they think that's how Liz Cheney might squeeze through and still get the Republican nomination. I mean, can't the entire Republican Party tolerate one person who doesn't think the same way? Uh, well, maybe the gazpacho police is, is uh, in action here, <laughs> trying trying to uh, suppress any dissent um, and make sure. It, really, it's 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 uh, if you imagine the the former president sitting behind his his desk at Mar-a-Lago, uh, making phone calls, pacing all day, he sees Liz Cheney as a threat um, because if. Uh, regardless, she can she can spend much of 2024 um, making Trump look bad, and that's not what he wants uh, in a in a pivotal year, whether he runs for president or not. And so he is out for for retribution for anybody who has uh, has wronged him, and he sees Liz Cheney as having wronged him. So Igor, is this all about Kevin McCarthy's uh, desperate attempts to be the next speaker if Republicans take over the House? Absolutely. I mean, it, it it smells of it reeks of desperation on his part and, and his his weakness as a caucus leader that he has to make these obvious moves in order to appease uh, Trump and his loyalists. Uh, and, and the bottom of what Kevin McCarthy will do to to to, re, to retain his grip on power and have a chance of becoming speaker uh, just knows no bounds. I mean, he's shown he's willing to do anything to get there. And it's not guaranteed either yet. I mean, he could he could do whatever he wants and he could still face a backlash, you know, after Republicans win the House back this November. And uh, some of these some of these Trump acolytes start asking questions about him. We've already seen it happen. You know, people floating uh, Republicans like Jim Jordan uh, mm-hmm. to for speaker uh, who some would say are more more uh, aligned with Trump. So, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a tough road up ahead for Kevin McCarthy. Uh, I saw that uh, Lou Dobbs this week said uh, Jim Jordan would be great as a speaker. He could not support Kevin McCarthy because Kevin McCarthy is nothing but a rhino. <laughs> so, yeah, and and Dobbs <laughs> is a uh, kind of a, a Trump whisperer. Yeah. So that kind of tells you where it's going. And you know, if T- Tucker Carlson gets on board, uh, it uh, could get out of hand for him. Addy, are there any announced candidates against Kevin McCarthy? Not as far as I know. Igor might yeah. know better than me. I, I have, yeah. but it's not, nothing that's crossed my radar. But no, I, I don't think I, so. Yeah. I do think Igor's on the money that like everything Kevin McCarthy does is with the intent to become the next Speaker of the House with a Republican majority. Um, I think that a Republican majority is pretty much all but a given. Um I don't necessarily think that's that's true of Kevin McCarthy, House Speaker, for for all the reasons Igor just said. Right. Yeah. Uh, I would keep my eye on Steve Scalise. By the way, I think if anybody were able to 
knock Kevin McCarthy off. It might be Steve Scalise, and he would relish doing so. But we'll see how that turns out. And there are other items in the news we didn't get to yet, but we will after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, the round, today's roundtable. And uh, we'll be back with Addie Baird from BuzzFeed News, Igor Babish from HuffPost, Sudeep Reddy from Politico. And today's roundtable is brought to you by the Laborers International Union of North America, or LIUNA, L-I-U-N-A, good men and women, of the Laborers Union, uh, over half a million strong, active in the construction field, already rebuilding our infrastructure, also in the energy field, not only building those old-fashioned pipelines, but I was told today, by uh, this week rather, by someone at the White House that the laborers have been in the forefront of labor unions that are transitioning to renewable energy projects, particularly in the area of wind and solar. Good for them. And also uh, many laborers, uh, about 100,000 health care workers as well. So we salute the members of the uh, laborers union, thank them for their good work, and thank them especially for their support of the Bill Press Pod and today's roundtable, check out their website at liuna, L-I-U-N-A, liuna.org. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And looking back at the news of this week uh, on this President's Day weekend with uh, today's panelists, from Politico Managing Editor Sudeep Reddy, from HuffPost Congressional Correspondent Igor Babush, and from BuzzFeed National Political Reporter uh, Adi Baer. So Sudeep, uh, you've got a position of uh, authority there at Politico. Uh, what is your take on what happened with Sarah Palin suing the New York Times uh, and losing round one? Uh, does this cause people like you and others in the newspaper managerial post to breathe a sigh of relief? This was clearly headed in this direction uh, anyway. It takes quite a lot to, uh, to, to prove a case of actual malice against the media. And, and 
And this particular case looks like it was a, a lot of messy writing and editing uh, from the New York Times. But Sarah Palin's larger play here was to, to create a spectacle, and she definitely succeeded at that. <laughs> Uh, and that that's that's where she she has uh, always excelled. And in this case, it was it was one that uh, showed that she could take this pretty far and and force people to take the stand and uh, and and explain their actions. Obviously, uh, this isn't going to happen in every case, but it does open the door for others to do that. And uh, we are we are probably uh, going to see a lot more of this before uh, people realize it's not not worth the time. But um, it's it's a powerful institution that was that was forced uh, into court, um, and and hopefully it won't won't uh, unleash a whole other wave of these kinds of suits. But Addie, we do see a lot of people claim that they've been defamed, you know, uh, or libeled by unfavorable news stories, but very few of them actually go this far, right? Go all the way into 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 court. Yeah, I mean, this is a, um, you know, a case that is both a relief uh, in the specific outcome, but a concerning one in the general unfolding of it, as, as Sudeep, I think, was kind of getting at. Um, the standard for libel for public figures is higher than for mm-hmm. private figures. So the standard that Sarah Palin had to prove here was actual malice. And again, as, as Sudi kind of touched on, the, the article in question is an opinion piece from several years ago that erroneously drew a connection between an ad that Sarah Palin made that put uh, crosshairs over certain congressional districts with the Aurora shooting. Oh, excuse me. Was it the Aurora shooting? Yeah, that's right. Um, and... This basically was an this was the the libel that she mm-hmm. it was taking the times to court over. The I, I put libel in air quotes there. Just you can't see yeah. me do that though. Right. <laughs> but um that is that that actual malice standard is an important one for public figures because this mistake that the Times made was corrected the next morning, which is one of the reasons that, uh, you know, actual malice is hard to prove here because it is exactly what it sounds like. You have to be able to prove that the that the reporter, the writer, the newspaper did this knowingly, in, you know, knowingly incorrectly published this in an attempt to actually uh, like hurt Sarah Palin in some way. Um, and that is a very high standard. And there's a reason that there is that high standard. And it is because journalists are not perfect, even at the New York Times. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I just sort of got going on about this. I don't even remember your original question anymore, Bill, but you, it still I, is a, a concerning I, one, I guess. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Igor, you want to jump in? Yeah, I mean, if I could just add, I kind of really enjoyed this case, uh, even though I wasn't really paying attention to it. I really <laughs> wanted an update on what Palin has been up to all these years. You know, it was just was gone too far out of the headlines. And it was like, oh, yeah. my God, we're back in the you know, yeah. early aughts or, or late aughts. And also, as a reporter, it was fascinating that, uh, you know, the, the mechanics of uh, and, you know, you, you kind of got a glimpse of, into how not only the New York Times operates, but uh, uh, news organizations in general, especially digital ones. 
And mm-hmm. for me, working at a digital organization, news outlet, uh, seeing, you know, the judge go over, well, you know, like when you click this link, did you actually think about what you were thinking about when you click this link? It was very weird and surreal to me, g- given that I work in this space, you know, every day. Yeah. Uh, I, I, too, enjoyed seeing Sarah Palin reemerge. And I kept thinking every time I saw her, what? She was actually... <laughs> the Republican Party candidate for vice president of the United States. Uh, There was this amazing line in, I think it was a time story I was reading yesterday that was like Sarah Palin, uh, like it was basically like Sarah Palin argued that uh, this is an important case to show that, you know, the little people can stand yeah. up against the New York Times. And it was like, and they were very quickly like Palin, the the, the former vice presidential nominee said, and I, it was right. just a good, uh, just, just a nice little shade. <laughs> uh, on a much more serious note, Sudeep, uh, a $73 million settlement this year on behalf of several of the families who lost their, their, their first graders uh, at Sandy Hook Elementary School back in 2012, uh, which really is a contrast to the fact that it's been decades since um, Congress has been able to get anything done on gun control. Um, And this is a big win for gun safety advocates. It is a a big win. It's a huge win because it it sets at least a marker uh, for this moment, and and the the core of this was uh, the the Sandy Hook uh, families after this this really horrific uh, tragedy a decade ago, wa- waging a battle to to show that uh, the gunmaker here was marketing uh, mm-hmm. its its weapons, military style weapons, for uh, regular people to essentially become uh, become like the military, and that's that is that is a a, a, a path they took. Uh, to make the case here. Now, there are a lot of peculiarities about this case. Remington had had filed for bankruptcy. This was its insurance company trying to do a settlement. Uh, the the actual ability to to claim that anybody has admitted fault here is is not not really all there. Um, but I, I think it's an important marker um, that could serve as a warning um, for for the industry about what they do going forward uh, beyond the military and and civilian use. Uh, for weapons like this, these are these are there are weapons of mass destruction in a way, uh, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what happened. But and Igor, it looks like that um, that the message is we're not even going to try to get anything done in Congress. We know Congress is impossible, right? They're never going to pass anything. We're going to go to the courts and we're going to go after the gun manufacturers. That's yeah, a that's big, right. I'm, big change. It, it is, and. Um... I think that that kind of speaks to where we are as a country, that that uh, normal avenues to address uh, an issue, a big issue are failed. And that now, you know, these families and, and, and activists are, are forced to to um, head in a court and, and try to address it this way. Um, but you're exactly right. The momentum, there is no momentum. I mean, it's it's negative momentum. Um, the country is so desensitized now to each shooting. Um, that we just kind of move on, you know, even hours after it happened. Right. Well, we can't uh, wrap the week without talking a little bit about Ukraine, although who knows what the hell is going on there. 
Uh, and by the time our listeners hear this podcast, the things may have totally changed. But uh, let me start with you, Addy. Um, it's unclear to me whose side the Republicans are on here. We have Republicans saying, why are we picking on Russia? And we have Republicans saying, we have to be tougher on Russia. Can you figure that out for me? Yeah, this is a this is an interesting one actually that I think goes back to some of our earlier conversations about the uh hardline, you know, Trump loving GOP. Foreign policy is always an interesting one to um you know, dig into this a little bit more. Um of course, I'm sure you guys remember there was there was maybe some abnormal uh alliances when we were talking about what to do in Afghanistan. Um, but, you know, the the Republican response to what's happening in, in Ukraine has actually largely been uh, pushing Biden to do more. Um, mm -hmm. Against but, Russia. Yes, exactly. Yep. Yes, against Russia. Um, but there is this cohort of very predictable uh, members, Lauren Boebert, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, who are basically uh, – you know, it, <laughs> it's very it's very Trump language essentially. Um, that's that's isolationist. It's pro Russia, um, and that definitely muddies the water when you have you know Marjorie Taylor Greene or uh, Paul Gosar. Paul Gosar basically said that he I mean he he straight straight up said we have no dog in the Ukraine fight. Not one American soldier should die there. Um, and you know you've got you've got Marjorie Taylor Greene and and Lauren Boebert talking about Burisma and Hunter Biden when we're talking about this this issue and it really muddies the muddies the water for for the Republicans' message when these are uh, you know some of their their highest profile members uh, breaking with what is the um, otherwise reasonable response. Yeah. Uh, and then of course, Tucker Carlson fueling it all, right, by saying, uh, basically, why are we, why are we picking on Russia, right? Yeah, why? I mean, of course, this all, it's interesting, we we have, I think, several times, as we've chatted this morning, pointed to uh, conservative television anchors as the driving forces behind uh, this, the, the forces shaping our world. So that's good. Well, meanwhile, Sadiq, the strategy on the part of the Biden administration seems to be uh, to really, I would, I don't want to use the word exaggerate, but to em emphasize, right, how close we are and how close Russia is to actually invading Ukraine. Here is the Secretary of State, uh, Tony Blinken, who made um, an unusual appearance yesterday, called at the last minute, in front of the United Nations uh, to make this point. Here he is. Russia plans to manufacture a pretext for its attack. We don't know exactly the form it will take. In the past few days, Russian media has already begun to spread some of these false alarms and claims to maximize public outrage, to lay the groundwork for an invented justification for war. I am here today not to start a war, but to prevent one. So what's the strategy here, Sadiq? It is, yeah, it is remarkable. Russia has been uh, long seen as, as an expert uh, in, in disinformation. And what the U.S. government is trying to do here is, is, is just pull, pull the cover off of it 
and show it step by step what Russia's next move might make might be. And uh, by doing that, it's it it has the potential to embarrass Russia into not making that move because it will already have been announced uh, by the U.S. Obviously, it has the potential to make the U.S. government look a little silly here uh, by by announcing things and saying things might happen that don't actually happen. And that is the the assumption that a lot of people have made is that Russia isn't going to actually uh, invade Ukraine because the the uh, retribution will be so swift, uh, so severe with uh, economic sanctions, um, and and they won't go down that path. But um, the the Biden administration does see the the risk here that if if they stand back uh, and let Russia do its thing, then Russia will do its thing, and so. Creating this spectacle around it is is really the the deterrent in a way that they're probably going to have to keep running for at least a couple more weeks. Uh, and as the New York Times reports this morning, uh, Secretary Blinken said, uh, "Fine, if we're proven wrong, uh, we'll welcome that. Right? <laughs> we don't mind being proven wrong. But right now, this is what we see, and so Russia can prove us wrong, and we'll gladly accept it and admit that we were wrong that they were going to do these things. Which again uh, is a different strategy, Igor." Is this getting a lot of attention on Congress? Is, are people talking about this a lot, or are they just sort of letting the Biden White House handle this? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's been a big issue in Congress, uh, which is— But they haven't has, done anything. They haven't passed they, any sanctions <laughs> or anything. Again, uh, Congress, right? <laughs> Congress not doing anything, really? really? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they, they, str- they tried to pass a sanctions package and, and failed. Uh, then they, the leaders of committees and, you know, uh, Schumer and McConnell released this, what was essentially a press release saying that, you know, the United States stands with Ukraine and would act if, would act to, would respond decisively if Russia decided to invade. But of course, that's a, that's a press release and doesn't really tell you anything. And, and finally they, they tried, they, you know, they did this kind of a sense of the Senate resolution saying that they essentially the same thing, uh, to try to project some sort of uh, unity on this issue after demonstrating how uh, disunified they were over the issue of sanctions. Right. Uh, and we remember uh, when Donald Trump was sort of being playing nice-nice to Putin, that Congress did pass sanctions against Russia, which the president did not want to uh, enforce, right? So it's a total different approach here to uh, the way the Congress is dealing with President Biden and Putin in this particular case. Uh, well, there may be some other issues that we um, that happened this week that we missed. Uh, sorry if we did, but that's sort of a wrap-up for the week. But we can't let our panelists go without finding out what was the one story that caught your attention this week. We always call it our favorite story of the week, made you stop in your tracks for at least a couple of seconds and think about it. Um, Addie, start us off, please. Well, you know that I love space, and I love uh, to yes. bring <laughs> stories about space. Um, one of the things that really caught my eye this week, this is from space.com. The headline is, astronomers discover a massive radio galaxy 100 times larger than the Milky Way. They called the discovery Whoa. of this galaxy a stroke of luck. It is the largest radio galaxy ever discovered. Um, and what that means is basically there's this there's a supermassive black hole at the core of this galaxy, and it's shooting these radio jets out from both ends um, that are 16 million light years in length. That is the <laughs> 
biggest galactic structure that we have ever discovered. Um, and one of the things that's really crazy about it is you might assume, okay, this is like an enormous black hole or, uh, you know, that that there's some sort of difference about this, this particular galaxy, but by all the other measures that they were able to take of this galaxy, um, they're relatively normal. So it's not a particularly large black hole. There's not this like crazy amount of stardust. They're not crazy powerful jet streams. Um, and the scientists who discovered this said that that is possibly going to help us understand more about the cosmic web, which is space itself holding all of our galaxies together. Um, yeah. Because these, these, the, the shapes of these plumes, they said, um, you know, the the galactic plasma might be affecting their their size and and making them so enormous um and that just just to sit with trying to imagine how enormous that is <laughs> really gets me all right uh so are you trying out for the nasa reporter for buzzfeed is that the, Look, is that is that your next I, step I would love if whenever some news outlet is ready to like send some some reporter to the moon, um, I'm uh, in. You're in. All right. Uh, if you can if you can afford it, Igor, what captured your attention? Uh, I'm going to go some something um, that's closer to home. Uh, hmm. My colleague uh, at HuffPost, Arthur Delaney. Um, yes, this week, Arthur, good Arthur Delaney <laughs> had a really fun story uh, de- uh, uh, concerning. Uh, Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri, who, as you may remember, uh, you know, kind of saluted his fist at uh, people who stormed the Capitol um, right, right. on January 6th. And there was a very fam- famous image of him that morning, you know, kind of putting his fist up into the air in solidarity with these people. Um, and so the campaign, re-election campaign of Senator Hawley is using this image now, and it's got it emblazoned on a coffee mug. That yes. <laughs> you could purchase uh, for twenty dollars if you so choose, um, and uh, you know the little tagline in the email said that you can use it for whatever coffee, tea, or liberal tears. Uh, so, Bill, I'm you know if you wanted to buy one of these for for the holidays or whatever, I'm, you know you should look it up. But but that is to say, my colleague Arthur Delaney, you know, walked up to Senator Holly in the hallways uh, this week and asked him. Uh, Senator Hawley, is this a pro-riot mug? And to which uh, Hawley responded, no, it is not a pro-riot mug. And this exchange was just so hilarious to me. And, and of course, that quote ended up being the headline, uh, you know, Senator Hawley column, no, it's not a pro-riot mug. Um, just to, to show the kind of the absurdity of the moment and, and you know, how they're, how he's uh, seeking to deflect the, the uh, his image as a, you know, one of the, the main guys involved in objecting yeah. to the electoral results. Good for Arthur uh, for asking that question. Uh, Igor, I'm not going to buy one of the Josh Hawley um, mugs. I want to wait for Marjorie Taylor Greene's gazpacho bowl. Um, there you go. You know she'll market those. You know damn well that her campaign is going to have. She should. I mean, it's the smart thing yeah. to do. Yeah, absolutely. 
How about a Sudeep? Can you match that? <laughs> I, 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 uh, I don't think I can, but something closer to home is the, the avocado shortage, which I've been reading about oh, quite, quite a bit. It, oh, uh, help us. The, help us. Exactly. Right. The, the latest trigger was a, uh, a safety <laughs> inspector from the USDA getting a threatening call uh, due to do, do, doing their job in Mexico. And so uh, exports from Mexico of avocados were shut down. Um, and this has obviously uh, distressed a lot of people given... Uh, the many sources of inflation we have in America, this could be one of them if it continues. But uh, it, it is just a, a wild story because like everything these days, it's, it's spawned uh, a thousand memes and conspiracy theories. And in this, this case, it's the Mexican president saying that it's a, it's a, a deep state exercise to protect American uh, avocado growers and try to under, undermine uh, the, the Mexican fruit. And so uh, it is yet again just like we we've uh, we've all lost our minds, and and this goes uh, further in the marker for a future civilization to see. Uh, well, I do have to point out. Uh, Carol told me that she went to Trader Joe's just down the street yesterday, and they had tons of avocados. So um, if, you, if you're out, Trader Joe's on Capitol Hill, uh, it's a place to go. Well, um, for my own favorite story of the week, I've often long been fascinated by the intersection between religion and politics. I actually wrote a book about it called How the Republicans Stole Religion. Uh, so I was struck this week seeing the latest Gallup poll shows that confidence among Americans in organized religion uh, was as high as 68% in 1975. Today, Americans' confidence in organized religion is down to 36 um, and then I saw a story this week that I think helps explain why. You probably saw it too. It's a priest, uh, Father Andres Arango, out in Phoenix, Arizona. He's been a parish priest for some 25 years. He has baptized thousands of people, uh, babies, of course, uh, mostly. And um, it turns out that he was using the formula we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, and the Catholic Church has ruled that every one of those baptisms is invalid because the correct phrase is, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Uh, so they have invalidated every one of his baptisms. Not only that, they said because these people were not properly baptized, they can't go to communion anymore or receive any of the other sacraments. They have to all go back and be baptized again under the phrase, I baptize you. Talk about In some ways, <laughs> yeah. that sounds yes. kind of nice, right? <laughs> you, get, you just get to, uh, as an adult, decide again, do you really want to be baptized? <laughs> well, <laughs> So does that mean that you were sinning this entire time, basically? Uh, I... <laughs> You weren't. You were uh, certainly not baptized. I guess you were living in sin. Yeah, the whole time. I mean, well, well, well. So there you go. No wonder people don't talk about how stupid. You know, it reminds me of like 
when you're typing, you know, and you're autocorrect or something like that, right? We're getting down to really ridiculous stories, but it caught my attention for sure. And that's it for today's roundtable. Great job, Addy Baird from BuzzFeed News. Good to have you back. Igor Babish, thank you, Igor, from HuffPost. And Sudeep Reddy, managing editor for Politico. Thanks to our panelists for a great job. Thanks to all of you for joining us uh, today on the roundtable. We'll be back on Tuesday right after President's Day weekend with uh, a great guest, Congressman Jamie Raskin, talking about his powerful new book, Unthinkable, which is powerful in two senses. It's a very powerful um, outline and account of what happened on January 6th, and it's a very powerful story about how Jamie and his wife lost their son, Tommy, just before the second impeachment trial. So uh, come back with us on Tuesday to hear Congressman Jamie Raskin. Meanwhile, have a great President's Day weekend. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.